You're listening to Everyday Saints, a podcast from the Melbourne Anglican. I'm your host, Kiralee Nicole. My aim is to feature the stories from those of all different backgrounds in Melbourne and beyond. These stories, they might make us laugh, they might make us cry. My hope is that hearing a diverse range of stories will bring us closer together and better equip us to care for one another. So, without further ado, we hope you enjoy. Every now and then, you come across someone who really encourages you. It could be something they say, something they do, or as in the case of my guest today, it was something she wrote on Instagram. I was just scrolling, as you do, and a post popped up about how if our beliefs are not applicable to everyone everywhere, they might need to be reconsidered. I've now been following Kate Boyd for quite some time. She's an author, a Bible teacher, and host of the Happy and Holy podcast. She helps believers who find themselves in the messy middle between loving the church and leaving it to more confidently walk the lines between doubt and certainty, faith and action, with love and grace for all. She's travelled the world to interview and tell stories of believers on mission, and inspired by those encounters, she creates spaces to facilitate wholehearted discipleship in the church at home. She's studying theology with an emphasis in biblical studies at the Perkins School of Theology. I got to speak with her a couple of weeks ago. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. It's lovely to have you. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Tell me, just, yeah, to start with, tell me a little bit about um, you and your faith background. Yeah, so when I was really young, we sort of um, bounced around from, I would say we started Methodist. There's a little bit of like Methodist heritage in my family. But when I was younger and after my parents divorced, we kind of like, we were sort of denomination hoppers, whatever church, you know, felt right at the time or met whatever need um, of our family based on me and my sisters and my mom and all that stuff. Um, we just sort of went with. And so, um, you know, that was everything from Disciples of Christ to Methodist to um, Baptist. And eventually we ended up really firmly because I ended up going to a Christian school um, that was Sorry, affiliated was in, in Texas or in another state mm-hmm, um, in Texas. Yeah. I ended up in a Christian school that was affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention Um church. And that's sort of, I would say I went there from fourth grade through graduation. So those were like really formative years. And I would say that, you know, I really kind of identified with that faith background. So it was very highly evangelical, um, not quite fundamentalist, though it did have some tendencies in that way. Um, you know, very Baptist and very conservative. And, um, yeah, that's just, that's how I grew up. And those were the beliefs I held and I held them very strongly. Um, with my school, I was fortunate to have a good base of even Bible knowledge that I know a lot of people don't get even in churches that are focused on, on teaching the Bible, um, in different ways. And so, Yeah, I would say that was sort of like my formative years after that in college. um, Again, sort of when I went to church, it was a Baptist church. And then after college, 
um, my husband, who was then my fiance, we both moved to the Dallas area and we landed in what we call Bible churches. I don't know if y'all have those in Australia, but um, it's I was kind of going to ask just as well, just going back to Disciples of Christ, just for the Australian yeah. audience, what is, what is that? Mm, like? That's a good question. If I remember any of my church history correctly, I think they sort of split from Church of Christ. So I don't think they're quite as conservative as Church of Christ, but they have some of those tendencies. I, I was really young when we went there. Um, it was mostly for my older sister who was in youth group, youth group at the time. And so we were involved in that stuff, but I'm not super familiar with a lot of their doctrinal um, statements as I would be for some other ones. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I mean, you can Google them. I'm sure it's available. (laughs) Bible churches. Yeah. Yes. So Bible churches, I would say if you're looking at their doctrine, they're going to, and their behavior, they're going to look a lot like a Southern Baptist church. Um, they're very heavy on, uh, expository preaching. So like preaching directly from the word and teaching you exactly like how, to like go through the verses and so it's very teaching heavy whereas like the church I go to now has like a 20 to 25 minute sermon their sermons would be more like 45 50 minutes um because it's very like we're gonna dig into this passage and we're gonna go straight through this book and you're gonna we're gonna cover every verse as we go through um they also are more uh dispensational Um, I know I'm using a lot of like big theology words, but that's just, you know, a way of, of reckoning with old and new covenants and all of that stuff. Um, that was really popular here, um, at least, um, and then a few other places, but it really gained ground and, and the seminary, one of the seminaries here in town, Dallas seminary, um, is famously dispensational. And so the Bible churches really sort of came out of come strongly at least in this area out of that seminary um so i think it's sort of that old joke you know a non-denominational church is actually just a baptist church that's kind of what it's like you know you'll get we had the contemporary worship although some will be more conservative than that in the way that they approach maybe more traditional worship not very liturgical um but very very like bible focused um and culture focused as far as like cultural concerns around. And so that's sort of how I grew up and how I was formed in the faith, I would say. Um, that's really interesting. And how it was, I've seen how you describe yourself on your bio and a lot of, I would say it shapes a lot of what you, what you talk about is you describe yourself as a messy middle Christian. I'm yeah. fascinated by that phrase. Can you explain what that means and how you've kind of come to that place. Yeah. So I, I had the opportunity through a former job to travel and see the church at work in a variety of shapes and in a variety of places all over the world. And, um, there's something about experiencing the way people worship both in the church and with their lives Um, in a different context that sort of shakes up some of the things that you believe because a lot of um, like I said we were very the churches I was in were very culture heavy and so 
when you are used to thinking of your way is the right way, and that means everything has to look like this or be like this, whether that's in the church or outside of it, then um, when you realize that there are faithful people who maybe believe the same things that you, but live them out or practice them or worship in a different way, you sort of have to start reckoning with that and, and deciding, right? Like, am I going to call them unfaithful? That didn't feel like the right option. Um, or am I going to reshape my faith that is big enough to be inclusive of the way that they do their faith? And that meant that my faith got a little less tidy than it used to be <laughs> um, because I knew all the check boxes, I knew all the right beliefs, and I knew exactly what I, I thought I knew exactly what I was doing. And, you know, to the point that I was like, and I remember in college, like arguing with friends about, you know, the right way to baptize people. Like it was just sort of silly things that now looking back are like, that's not that important. Like, I think it's important. I, I guess I don't want to say it's not important. I think the theology around those things is important and that we, but I think it's more important that we all practice baptism. You know what I mean? Like that to me now is more compelling than digging into all the nitty gritty disagreements across the thing. And that I can now believe that the way I baptize is faithful and the way you baptize is faithful. Um, and I know that that gets trickier with some other things, but I, it just become, it just sort of became this space where I realized that the things that I was actually committed to are, it's like a small handful of things. And I want to be really committed to those. I want to be all in on Jesus. I want to be all in on community. I want to be, you know, all in on my allegiance to God and that the faith is bigger and that minds and bodies and souls all matter. Um, so there's like this handful of things that are super important and everything else I think is kind of up for grabs. Like I think um, there, because I realize now that when you read the Bible um, and when you look at tradition, you can land a lot of different places legitimately, right? And it then becomes harder for me to draw a hard line on anyone else's conviction, which means that things I have to be willing to not draw so many hard lines, that I have to be willing to let there be this tension and this mess between us um, it, while still recognizing that we're committed to the same core things. And so it sort of became the space. And, and sometimes I needed that for me too, as I was figuring out what I even thought about stuff, I had to know what I was definitely committed to. And from there, I had to figure out what I was convicted about in all these different areas. But as I did that, um, yeah, it wasn't like a, an A to B, you know, to Z process. It was very slow and tense and painful and joyful and surprising in a lot of ways. Um, but I had to make space for something that wasn't as clean cut as it was before. I'm probably more convicted about more things now, but I am less certain about all of them, you know? And so I, it's sort of this willingness um, to kind of like hold everything in your hands with your fingers open and just let the, the things that don't work fall through and just being, 
you know, intentional in that. And so the messy middle just kind of became this space for me. And I think it resonated with a lot of people because we were all kind of feeling that we were maybe sold a bill of goods about what Christianity is and what we were supposed to do within that. And then we figured out that it was actually a lot more complicated and that maybe the people who sold us that bill of goods, like didn't actually believe what they were selling because they're going about their whole thing a different way. And it really sort of rocks your paradigms. And so you have to take a step back and go, okay, well, this is, that just blew up in my face. What am I going to do with this mess that's in front of me? And it just gives you a place to stand and honor that pain and that experience um, while also, you know, giving you a place to stand and to start when you're rebuilding and, and cleaning up some of those corners that you feel like really need to be addressed. I really relate. I, I grew up in Queensland, in Australia, very much in some ways separated from American evangelicalism, but um, very much steeped in American evangelicalism at, at the same time. So, And so I relate very much to the knowing, a, a feeling like you know the truth. And something that really strikes me is when you go from feeling like you know the truth to suddenly feeling like maybe you don't know everything, that is a very scary place to be, um, or it can be a very scary place to be. How did you feel when that sort of, I guess when your worldview kind of got a rocket burst into it, how did that feel? Can you describe a bit to me about that? And, and how old were you when that happened as well? If you don't mind me oh, asking. gosh. So I would say it's probably been about 10 years. So I was probably, I'm 37 now, so like 24. Well, it was after 25, so like 26 to 27, probably when all that really started like opening up for me. I think a lot of people have had it more prominent in their lives in the last six, seven years now. I was going to say five years, but we're in 2022. It's been a while. It's been a minute. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think at first you're you're kind of like stunned and you're just sort of like disoriented and I think you also go through a lot of grief and sadness. I write about this a little bit in my book because um, I think there's just this like, there came a point, you know, when I came back to America and I was like on my way home and I just sort of felt like I had been robbed of what faith could be because I had seen or a faithful life in Christ could be because I had seen that in a different way. And I didn't feel like it totally matched up with my experience um, or even the expectations people had for me. Um, and so you just sort of like, I think you go through maybe the cycle of grief, right? There's like anger and depression and, and you're trying to, and you're trying to find your way through it. Um, and you feel like you're in the dark. And a lot of times it's really lonely because I think there is also this idea that you have to have everything settled and you have to be on the same page and we're all trying to be the perfect picture of the perfect Christian. And, um, you know, we can mess up and like 
in like small ways, we can be untidy, right? Like, oh, I just, I didn't read my Bible every day this week. And that's sort of like, and I really just, I need God to make me motivated to read my Bible. And that's not that that's not important or good, but like when you're dealing with, you know, shame or anger around your faith or the things that you um, know, you get kind of stuck and you sometimes you feel lied to and sometimes and you just get really sad and lonely because you don't feel like anybody else can relate to you um and you don't want them to misunderstand what you're trying to communicate if you do decide to speak up about it and that's where it gets tricky because I actually think a lot of people were and are going through this and now it's kind of like safe and popular to talk about it but 10 years ago, I don't feel like anybody was saying anything. And so um, at least not in any circle I was in. And so it was really hard to kind of like figure out how I even wanted to start processing all of this um, when it didn't even feel like I could talk to my husband about it because he didn't have the same experience. How do you explain the experience you have? And then how do you begin to process it with people who don't have that experience and might judge you for wanting to process it in a different way. And so it becomes sort of like isolating. And in that, like the cycle can repeat, um, you know, unless you find community or unless you sort of move through those stages to sort of orient yourself and find a way forward. Um, but I totally get that people actually, you know, just walk away because it's hard to do on your own. And I also get why people react by, you know, just saying, nope, I'm just going to stick with what I know and I'm going to double down on being certain on what I know and I'm going to ignore my experience and the experience of others because that feels safer. Sometimes both of those feel safer and, and, um, and they're not any easier, I don't think. Um, maybe doubling down is a little bit easier because you'll, you'll have the backing of people but yeah, I mean, it is, it's really hard. <laughs> In short, it is hard. Really, I, lo I love your concise um, description of that. And uh, going back to how you and your husband were sort of in different places with that, um, was there an element as well of, um, and I could be reading into the environment a bit here, but was there an element as, as well of feeling like you had to, uh, submit to your husband and struggling to change your mind? Um. Sort of. We've always kind of had a weird marriage that way um, <laughs> because I've been a believer for most of my life. I grew up in Bible school. I, you know, was very into it, right? My husband didn't come to faith till college. And so we were, we sort of had very different journeys. Um, and he doesn't, he didn't grow up in churchy spaces. And so he didn't have any of that same sort of like expectation or baggage around men and women in marriage that I did. Um, and so we just kind of like, we talked about it some, like before we were getting married, but I think it always made him sort of uncomfortable to like be the leader, you know? And so we never really had those dynamics super strongly in our marriage. We've always been partners more than anything. 
Um, and if anyone takes a spiritual lead, it tends to be me because of time and experience and knowledge and all of those things. Um, but we acknowledged that that was sort of weird for us. So it was never really a, that part wasn't sort of um, weird for us personally. I think in that way, he would probably default to what I'm thinking, but that would also have been weird in the environments that we were in. So we couldn't really even talk about those dynamics super open. Like we could talk about them. Um, our church was complementarian. It, that church is still, is probably, I can say, I would say soft complementarian, but we've always been more egalitarian and even more so, um, especially since those experiences, I think a lot of those experiences overseas also really pushed me over into women everywhere all the time doing all the things. Um, at least having the ability and the authority. And so, yeah, I think a different person might have, may have found some of those dynamics. I think I was fortunate in that that wasn't really built into my marriage in the way that it would typically manifest here. Something else that you mentioned that um, was really interesting was you mentioned the sense of once everything sort of fell apart for you in a way and you were sort of trying to reconstruct what your faith looked like, the integration of body and mind and soul. And that's a real, that's often an experience that people have when their worldview gets shaken is that they feel disconnected from Mm. those different parts of themselves. Did you find that, that feeling and how did you start to sort of put the pieces back together? So I would say um, my faith background highly stresses the spiritual over the physical and the intellectual over the the lived experience, the embodied experience. And so um, in a way, some of that was kind of, some of that was what I was relearning, right? Re um, orienting myself to um, because of what life looks like outside of America and outside of my Dallas suburb where there's a lot of, frankly, affluence, right? Like we are fine. We are secure. We don't have to think about those things. I would also say that's something that appealed to me. (laughs) Um, I am very much a, a mind, like a head centered person, if I tackle a problem, it is probably up here. I am an intellectually, like I'm an intellectual processor, like a, an internal processor. Um, whereas my husband has to talk everything out. I'm like, no, let me figure it out. And I'll come I'll come back to you in like two days and have a full plan and it'll be fine. Um, and so part of it for me was maybe less about learning that my body was important though. I think that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm still working on and that my body matters and then it deserves care like my mind and my soul do. Um, but I was starting to understand that other people's bodies mattered as much as their souls. And so starting to kind of like put those things together. And if we are bringing good news, it, it shouldn't be just good news for their future and good news for their soul. Um, because even the future is very embodied. Um, and so we need to work on bringing those things together. And so I would say over the last few years, I've been sort of learning to kind of get in touch with my own body and the way that emotions and 
things like that work through it. I fight that a lot because I really just, part of me just kind of resents that I have to take care of my body as it ages um, because it used to just take care of itself and I could do whatever I want. Um, I that is not that. the case now at 37, I'm pushing 40 and it's like, well, nope, you're just going to have to start doing things a different way and that's okay. And, but I think that's been good for me in that, you know, I had come to this intellectual conclusion about bodies mattering and seeking to take care of other people's bodies, but not always applying that to myself. And so it's sort of, it's been a journey in that. Um, but I would definitely say that it, it, it started externally before it started internally here. I guess that sort of leads me to, as you've mentioned, you're an internal processor and, and, you went through this in many ways isolating experience of having your faith reshaped and shaken and and now you've come to a place where you have a public platform where you talk about theology and you're studying theology you're writing a book congratulations thanks um you're you're doing all of this public work that is really appreciated by people like me um but how did you kind of come to see that as a a passion and a purpose and yeah what drove that for you yeah I it's sort of wrapped up in a bunch of different things um so three or four years ago I actually owned my own business that sort of lived in it was in you know an online marketing space um <clears throat> so I worked at home and all that stuff and eventually I realized that wasn't a a great thing for me to do, um, to have all, all of everything dependent on me. Um, and my mental health was just not great. And so I went out and got a regular job like people do. And, um, but I still sort of like wanted this outlet and now I was sort of like busy and we had, um, some other personal family stuff going on that sort of made our home life kind of crazy um and just like really busy and so even the other outlets like I used to teach in Sunday school sometimes and um and in women's bible study at our church and stuff like that that those sort of opportunities rolled off because of our new schedule and the new stuff that was happening here and so it was sort of like an outlet for me like to put some of that energy and just those thoughts um, I knew that eventually someday I would want to write a book. So something like that would be helpful. Um, but it really sort of like, I think after, after, you know, the election back in the day, and then after, you know, as the pandemic was hitting, I think things just sort of really swelled here. And suddenly I realized that there are people processing things that I had already processed, feeling things that I was still feeling um, because I think things were showing themselves in a new, fresh, um, more blatant way than they used to. And just dealing with what that meant for all the people that I had been around for so many years. Um, and I found that I was able to put words to some of those things that other people weren't able to because they didn't have that decade of processing on top of what was happening now. Um, and so 
I just thought maybe it was helpful to say those things. <laughs> and so it was sort of an outlet for me to work out my faith at the same time. I mean, in the last couple of years, we, I mean, we weren't able to go into our church building for a while because, you know, the pandemic rendered it unsafe and the community there um, rendered it unsafe in a couple of different ways. And so we, we, I didn't have the same kind of community that I used to. And um, they're just sort of, and it was sort of like everyone was waking up at the same time. And so there was just this kind of feeling of, wow, we can find our people. And so I just wanted to put out beacons to find people um, and help people process what they were seeing and what we were experiencing and how we can think about things or approach things or give them words to say to others about what they're thinking or believing or changing. Um, and so that just sort of like became the niche that I fell into was just that um, there were people like me who needed someone to put to words what we were either thinking or feeling um, or to give a helpful nudge in a different in in a direction so that people sort of felt like they could start moving forward and um and in that you know people came and that was really um kind of surprising because like I said before that kind of work had been very isolated and isolating um and that's also part of why I wanted to do that I wanted I think at the time deconstruction talk was really sort of like hitting its peak, I would say in the last year or two, it's really sort of like hit that high point. And so people were finally had a vocabulary um, for what they were going through, um, but they didn't necessarily know what to do with that. You know, like you finally learn what you're feeling and you're like, now what do I do? Where do I go from here? Um, and so it just became a way to be able to connect to myself, connect to people like me, um, and then give whatever I had to give um, and learn a lot. I've made a lot of great connections. I've had a lot of great conversations, um, you know, and I've grown and I've found a lot of new things and new people because of um, having all of that, but because I started that. And so it's, it's really, it's weird now to me that that people are still there and that it's, you know, it's not like a giant number of people, but it's not a small number of people. And so it's interesting. Um, yeah. To just think about what um, it looks like to have a community of people who are working out the same thing. And I think, and it's fun because that's sort of like what the church is. And so to get to do that with people who maybe aren't next to each other and don't feel like the people next to them um, are up for that. It's been really nice to have that space. I I wanted to go back to another, another thing you mentioned, which was that you've sort of come down to this uh, handful of beliefs that you really hold on to tightly. And I guess we would call that orthodoxy. What is really universally important about your faith? What is it that you, you think is universally applicable? Gosh, so I guess I'm, I think 
I'm going to kind of riff off of the manifesto I put together for people, um, which are sort of those things. I do think orthodoxy is important. I'm, I always say I'm boringly orthodox. I think people think of, some people think of me as like a deconstruction person. And I'm like, you're probably going to get disappointed at some point with that label on me. Um, only because for some it goes further or different directions and um it just becomes one of those things that maybe is less helpful <laughs> as, as a thing so i would say like yes i think orthodoxy um i you know something like the nicene creed or the apostles creed that are just kind of like those regardless of your denomination these are probably things that you hold to um and so that's sort of like the boundary i would put on at least what I call Christian, though I, I'm really hesitant to judge who's in and who's out. I don't think that's my responsibility. But I think that historically that gives us a really wide tent. Um, I think, like we were talking before, that our our bodies and our souls are connected and that God cares about both of them. And so I think that the gospel has to attend to both of those things. Um, and if it's not that, then it's not the fully restorative work of the gospel. Um, I think faith is important, but I also think doubt is okay. I think God is big enough for our doubts. I think he meets us there. Um, and that maybe even doubts are the way that we become better disciples. Um, tell me about that. How does, how does that work? So I think with doubt, it forces question, it forces you to examine. And I don't think we're meant to be static in our walk of faith. And I think there's this point at which when you become very certain that you stop sort of examining things, your own faith, and you start examining everybody else's, right? And I, that's like the wrong direction, I think, for that to go, or at least that it needs to start with your own. Um, I think in that doubt and deconstruction and, you know, what I call disentangling, which is maybe a little less like extreme than um, some deconstruction, is is um is discipleship right it is examining yourself it is examining your beliefs it's examining against the bible and tradition and jesus and in community and being willing to to be changed and so i mean if transformation is is the process remaining static is not a good thing and i think doubts are doubts and questions are often the catalyst that push us forward in that. And so, yeah, that's how I would say doubt works in discipleship. As you get through each day and you kind of wake up and you think about what the day holds, what is it about your faith that really inspires you and motivates you and encourages you in life? I think... I like, I think it's really good news. <laughs> um, I like every day I think about how great new creation and restoration and this journey towards wholeness through Jesus um, is. And 
Like I'm just very inspired and caught up in that vision for the world. And so um, I'm grateful for a God who cares about that wholeness and who went to such great lengths to restore that in us. And I'm grateful for getting to participate in the restoration while we wait for the final restoration. And, and I'm grateful that I'm going to be there at the end. And so, um, and that will all be new and that we'll get to see everything um, as it should be, as it always should have been um, or could have been. And so, yeah, I think there is just this sort of intense hope that at, after all of this, it will be better and better than I can even imagine. And that it's through Jesus that we have not only the example, but the access um, to take hold of that now. And so that's really sort of the thing that drives me every day. You've been listening to Everyday Saints. Everyday Saints is hosted and edited by me, Carolina Cole, with help from Elspeth Kernibone, Michelle Harris, Janan Taylor, and Maya Pilbrow. Graphics by Julian Karajic. If you have a suggestion for our podcast, please email me directly at knicole at melbourneanglican.org.au.